sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Welcome to hour number two of a Wednesday live right here on the morning after on Sports Grid and Sirius XM Channel 159. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz Network, that is Sports Grid. I am Ben Stevens. Plenty to get to here in hour number two. We go all across the sports landscape, and that starts with quarterfinal Wednesday at Wimbledon. And this is Wimbledon Watch with me. Ben Stevens, but most of the information really provided by our associate producer, Joe Frizo, a huge tennis guy, but he is converting me into that. We have action right now on center court, the women's quarterfinal between Elena Rabakina and Anz Jabor, a rematch of last year's title on the women's side. Myself, I have Elena Rabakina on the advice of our associate producer, Joe Frizo, to win the Wimbledon championship at 5-1. to one. It is a three-set thriller between Jabor and Rabakina right now. I am tuned in. If you see me peer to my right, it's because they're on to a third set on center court right now at the All England Club. We recap some action yesterday in the quarterfinal round as well. Novak Djokovic, more history. He did lose his opening set in his quarterfinal match against Andre Rublev, but came back to win the final three in a four-set victory to advance to a Grand Slam semifinal at Wimbledon for the 46th time in his career, advancing to a Grand Slam semifinal. Now ties Roger Federer for the most all-time. He is looking to break more history, is Djokovic. He is looking to win his 24th Grand Slam championship. That would be the most all-time in the world of tennis, either men's or women's. He is looking for his fifth consecutive Wimbledon title, the eighth overall in his career he entered this tournament as an odds-on favorite at nearly two dollars at minus 190 he is now minus 210 as the heavy odds on favorite to win Wimbledon for the eighth time in his career now some upsets on the women's side Alina Svitolina the upset over the number one seed yesterday Iga Sviantek in the quarterfinal round on the women's side. In a three-set thriller against Sviantek, it was Svitolina coming away with a victory. She was the heavy underdog, plus 540 before the match got underway on that money line. Sviantek was the favorite to win Wimbledon before the tournament started, plus 160 entering yesterday's match as that title favorite. And again, minus 800 for Svitolina. Fiontech, excuse me, to win yesterday at the quarterfinal round. So, as we look at where the semifinals currently stand, Novak Djokovic on the men's side, he's a heavy favorite against Yannick Sinner, who won in four sets yesterday as well to reach his first ever Grand Slam semifinal. Again, Djokovic is greater than a $6 favorite at minus 610 to win in the semifinal round at Wimbledon on the men's side. So you have Novak Djokovic in his 46th Grand Slam semifinal, Yannick Sinner in his first ever. And Marketa Von Joseva did pull the upset yesterday over Jessica Pagula, who was the highest ranked American in the women's field. She went down yesterday in the quarterfinal round. She is now 0-6 all-time in her career at Grand Slam quarterfinal 
final. So we have un an unlikely pairing in the first women's semifinal that is set between Vondrosova and Svitolina, who entered this tournament. 95 to 1 did Svitolina to win at Wimbledon. Vondrosova, 120 to 1. So long shots facing off for an appearance in the women's final at the 2023 championships Wimbledon. Hey, welcome to our Sports Grid Radio audience here. Hour number two of a Wednesday live on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM Channel 159. All of our radio terrestrial affiliates now in the mix as well. I am Ben Stevens. It is quarterfinal Wednesday at Wimbledon. It is Wimbledon Watch live right here to start off hour number two. And I am watching Wimbledon off in our Midtown Manhattan studios to the right because I'm heavily invested in the second quarterfinal today on the women's side on Jabor and Elena Rabakina. I have Rabakina to win the Wimbledon championship of the women's draw at a five to one number. I bet her live entering the third set tied at a set all against on Jabor. This was the women's Wimbledon final last year. Jabor the runner up. Rabakina was the champion. So as we go around Wimbledon on this quarterfinal Wednesday, the first quarterfinal on the women's side, Arena Zabalenka, who is that number two seed, knocking off the final American in the field, Madison Keys, in straight sets, 6-2, 6-4. Again, it's Rabakina and Anj Jabor on the court right now. Jabor has taken the first game and is up 30. Love, not great for my live ticket at minus 110 or my futures price on Elena Rabakina at 5-1 to one to win Wimbledon on the women's side. Daniil Medvedev and Christopher Eubanks about to enter action on court number one. Medvedev is the third seed in the men's draw at Wimbledon. Eubanks is an American into the quarterfinal here who has pulled upset after upset. Medvedev was a heavy favorite, nearly a $4 favorite entering this quarterfinal match against Eubanks, who was around a plus 350 money line underdog for the match. And Eubanks himself, 250 to 1 to win the Wimbledon championship on the men's side before this tournament got underway. On center court later tonight in London, it will be a matchup of 20-year-olds in the world number one and the number one seed at Wimbledon, Carlos Alcaraz taking on Holger Runa. Right now, Alcaraz a minus 360 favorite on that match money line, entering their quarterfinal action. Oh, we are invested in Wimbledon on this quarterfinal Wednesday. More on the morning after up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Live right here on the morning after on SportsGrid. Firmly in the all-star break now for this 2023 MLB season. But that does not mean the daily bases stop. In fact, it continues by looking back at the Midsummer Classic one final time and then looking forward to the second half of this Major League Baseball season that will get underway when action returns to the diamond on Friday. Craig Mish joins us live right here on this Wednesday on TMA, our Major League Baseball insider across the grid, and of course, the host of Newswire starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. Craig, thank you so much for joining us here. A couple of off days now firmly in the all-star break in a major league baseball a good time to reset and look at what the rest of this season has in store 
You know, it's interesting. There used to be a time where they didn't play any Major League Baseball games, of course, the day after the All-Star game on Wednesday, and they also never played any games on Thursday. But if you remember, Ben, about a decade ago, they re-added the games back to Thursday. They had like a handful of games where you would have action tomorrow. Then they did away with that, if you remember, and they just had one game on Thursday. So it was like they wanted to make sure that at least there was one game played on. Now they've done away with that again, which is a smart thing to do for us. It stinks, but the reality is, is that these players play 162, rarely getting days off, and for those players who are not in the All-Star game, now it's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday complete off, and then we're back at it on Friday. So uh, not sure what the explanation is, but that's just like the history All-Star game off day lesson. Yeah, Craig, the festivities are always fun for an all-star game and a home run derby the night prior. But for the guys that are involved in those events, they don't have a very long break, about 48 hours to refuel, recharge, and get ready for the second half. Last night, though, in Seattle, the National League finally getting past the American League in the Midsummer Classic. For the first time since 2012, the NL pulls off a victory 3-2 to two, the final, snapping a nine-game consecutive win streak for the American League in the All-Star game. Elias Diaz, the catcher for the Colorado Rockies, the only All-Star from the Rocks, a two-run bomb in the top half of the eighth inning to give the National League that victory. Craig, out of all the fun last night, out of all the atmosphere in Seattle for the Midsummer Classic, what was your favorite part of the 2023 All-Star game? Yeah, look, I I think that was obviously the highlight of the game, no question, him hitting the home run off Felix Bautista. But I think probably, Ben, what most people will remember, and, you know, it's it's hard to tune into an entire All-Star game. I get it. The good thing is that it went pretty quickly. You looked up, it was already the fourth inning. But to open up the game, and Garrett Cole throws a couple of pitches, and he has his outfielders make really good plays, um, people probably tuned out after that, third, fourth, fifth inning, et cetera. So for me... Uh, defense at the beginning of the game definitely showing it, itself. Luis Arise of the Marlins, clearly I've been watching him all yep. season. He gets another two hits in the game last night. But I'm ready for the second half of the season to get underway. For my fantasy baseball teams, Ben, I'm not ready. I always love this time because I don't have to check my fantasy teams for two days. I know there are sickos out there that can't stand the fact that they don't have to check for a couple of days. For me, I love it. I love the fact that I get three or four days without having to set a lineup. But come tomorrow night. I'll be setting my lineup again for that second half of the season, that's for sure. And we will get back to the DFS slate, certainly, as we round out this week. Elias Diaz, again, a debut in the All-Star game for the 32-year-old catcher from Colorado. A two-run bomb, and he wins the National League MVP, or the All-Star Game MVP award for the National League. But, Craig, the National League unable to muster up a ton of victories here in All-Star Game history. Just their fourth win in the last 26 years at the All-Star Game. But finally, for the first time since 2012, the NL stands atop in the mid-summer classic. Elias Diaz, again, one of the longest prices, one of the four longest prices even listed for that MVP award at 100 to 1 before the All-Star game got started last night. So, Craig, let's look forward to the second half of this Major League Baseball season. And we start 
in the National League wild card, where currently the top team is the Miami Marlins. The Marlins have the second best record, if in fact, in the National League. They're just looking up at the Atlanta Braves by eight and a half games in their own division. So the Fish own that top wild card spot, followed by two teams from the National League West, the Arizona Diamondbacks and the San Francisco Giants. Not far off, the reigning pennant winners in the National League, the Philadelphia Phillies. But Craig, I want to talk about one team at the bottom of your screen. You see there the Padres, who are four games below 500, and the New York Mets, who are off this board as well. Seven games back of the final wild card spot, six games below 500. Craig, do you think both the Padres and the Mets are out of it in terms of postseason contention in the second half? Great, great question, Ben. It's a conversation I had yesterday with somebody in the game. It's it's really hard to tell because, again, I think as a buyer in Major League Baseball at the deadline, you're looking at San Diego and the New York Mets asking yourself, hey, you know, you may be willing to you know trade some of those players because let's be honest, both teams have underperformed in a very big way. Uh, you know, look, I think I'm going to go back and say what I said a few days ago, which is I think that the Padres and the Mets and even the Cubs to a degree can convince themselves, Ben, that they can win five or 10 games in a row and jump right back into this. And it's also very hard for the Padres and the Mets, their front office, to sell their fan base after we went ahead and spent all this money that we're just simply gonna tear it all down in less than five months. So I don't anticipate either team being massive sellers. If I had to guess, maybe it would be the Mets that would be willing to shed some payroll because they do have some money coming off the books that they could just reset for the following year. I don't know how you do that with the Padres after everything that they went after in the offseason, signing Xander Bogarts, extending Machado and, and Darvish and everything else. Uh, I think both teams still in it, Ben. I, I don't have either team yeah. out of it right now, so that just creates a logjam of teams that still feel like they're in it. But again, the Cubs, to me, really interesting with Stroman, Bellinger, and a couple of players that can leave after the season. It would be interesting to see what a few teams in the National League Central, if they feel they are out of it in the three weeks or so coming up prior to the trade deadline, what they decide to do to be a buyer or a seller once we get to that point, including the St. Louis Cardinals, another disappointing team this year in yeah. Major League Baseball. Of course, it was the Mets and the Padres playing each other in a three-game set prior to the All-Star break. The Mets won the first game to win six in a row. The Padres won their final two games of that set. New York, six games below 500 San Diego four games below 500 and prior to the season getting underway Craig we expected both the Padres and the Mets to be in the running for the National League pennant both teams had two of the four best prices to win the NL before this year got started alongside the Dodgers and the Braves and it's really been that two-team race at least from the odds component all year long the Braves now the solo favorites plus 145 the Dodgers the second best price at plus 210 about 60 cents back of Atlanta and then Craig there's a large drop-off in the National League pennant odds from the Dodgers at plus 210 to the Diamondbacks and the Phillies at 12 to 1 so outside of the Braves and the Dodgers at the top of the board Craig who do you think is the biggest challenger for a National League pennant yeah those two teams obviously are right at the top I still would say based on the way that the Phillies have looked over the last couple of months I know they had a hiccup in Miami last weekend where they lost Saturday and Sunday, but they had that long winning streak on the road. I would expect them to be active and be buying players at the deadline. You know, I, I don't, I think Arizona is good enough to make a push. I'm not sure they're good enough to win the pennant. 
And then very clearly, look, if Milwaukee could ever get their act together and get all of those pitchers going and getting hot in September, there's no question we should not be eliminating them from the conversation. But I think the two teams that you mentioned there, without a doubt, are the favorites in the National League. And hard to honestly take anyone outside the Braves based on the way that they played. Yeah, the Braves are the best team in baseball by far. 31 games above 500. The hottest team in the bigs, 27-6 and six in the months of June and July. The second hottest team, though, probably the Philadelphia Phillies, 23-9 and nine since June 2nd. Craig Mish, we appreciate your time. Another day of the All-Star break before we get back to action on Friday in Major League Baseball. All right, Ben. See you tomorrow. Another off day. We will see you tomorrow to do this all over once again. And Craig will be on Newswire starting at 11 a.m. Eastern time. A big week in the world of golf. That's up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. An interesting time, of course, in the world of golf. As we still wait for the official merger and a new entity to form between the PGA Tour and Live Golf and the public investment fund of the Saudi Arabian government really becoming the main driving economic force in the world of golf. It took an interesting step yesterday in the nation's capital that will break down live right here on this Wednesday on the morning after before we preview the Scottish Open before next week's fourth and final major championship of this golf calendar year the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool across the pond in England. Helping us do all of that, of course, we need Cam Rogers' expertise. Live right here on this Wednesday on TMA, the host of Believe Me on Stadium, each and every Friday night, and the host of the Lock It In podcast for Believe as well. Cam, thank you for joining us here on this Wednesday on the morning after. So much going on right now in golf, Ben. Great to be with you. You can call me a C-SPAN expert after what went down there in the Senate hearing. A Senate hearing yesterday in front of Congress for those leaders of the PGA Tour, including Jimmy Dunn, that were vital in getting the framework of this deal, the new entity to be formed between Live Golf, the PGA Tour, and the DP World Tour. They had to answer some questions yesterday in this Senate hearing. And Cam, because when you speak in front of Congress, some of the work that happened behind the scenes that was a shock to all of us is revealed and what those conversations and discussions potentially look like, including this bit that many people found very interesting around social media. In a, quote, best of both worlds presentation given to PGA Tour leaders before the framework of this deal was agreed upon, it was proposed that Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy would each own live golf teams. They'd play in 10 live events. Yasir Al-Rumayan, who is the governor of the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia, would gain an RNA membership and membership to Augusta National. This tweeted out, by the way, by Sean Zock of the golf uh, of golf magazine and golf.com. So, Cam, interesting tidbits that we got from the Senate hearing yesterday at Congress, what was your reaction to this best of both worlds presentation and everything you heard yesterday on C-SPAN? Well, I think the most interesting thing is the fact that the conversations began as early as December. I think the big revelation of this hearing is that 
we now have the understanding of the timeline in terms of how this all developed. And of course, the PGA Tour was not receptive in the beginning, but eventually they became to be that way. And then we got the announcement in June, right? So I know that obviously PIF and Saudi Arabia wants to get involved in golf and the PGA Tour eventually came around. Here's what's interesting, though. The number is about north of $1 billion as far as PIF investing in this entity. I am hearing yeah. and I am reading that there could have been some outsider investments from private people, private equity funds, etc., around $5 billion. The problem is, A, the PGA Tour would have to be for-profit, and B, you would assume, Ben, that litigation would continue between Liv and the PGA Tour. Remember, that was the number one thing for the PGA Tour. They could not afford this litigation against Liv anymore because, of course, PIF is endless money. So that was an interesting tidbit that I read. Other things, too, Ben, of course, Liv players would have full PGA Tour status restored retroactively as well with official World Golf rankings points, ability to play in majors and Ryder Cups, President's Cups. And a large-scale, how about this, superstar global event to include the PGA Tour Live and LPGA players with a live TV draft. Now, all of that said, we don't have a deal yet, Ben. So the Senate, the DOJ, yeah. they can't really do anything yet. Of course, they can investigate, but they can't say, no, stop talking, because that's all it really is at this juncture. They're just talking. And by the way, Rory McIlroy will have a voice in this in terms of a vote about whether this deal gets done. And that was really what the basis of the Senate hearing was yesterday, to get some more information about this potential merger and new entity forming because it all crept up on us without anybody really having any public knowledge of these workings. Another small bit of information, Cam, yesterday that was revealed during the Senate hearing was about the future of Live Golf. And if Live is to continue, Greg Norman is probably not going to have a say in it so cam when this new agreement comes to terms whatever it looks like what do you believe the future of live golf is set to be well from what i understand piff does want some elements of live golf involved in this new entity whether we are forming it together pga tour and live into one schedule and some of the events are like live branded you have some team elements or maybe it's something else but from what i understand live is not going to go away i thought originally it was but going through these documents the information that we have before us it's clear that Liv in some way is going to be there. Now, from what I understand also, Piff does not want Liv to be like the younger brother to the PGA Tour. Like, they're not going to allow for these events only to happen in the fall, for instance, right? When football is going on yeah. and what have you. They want to intertwine it into other parts of the calendar. As for Greg Norman, uh, he's not going away. He won't be the CEO, most likely, but he could be an advisor or something like that, whatever that means, honestly. Maybe it's just something to keep him happy. But, yeah, he's probably not going to be the CEO of Live, but he will be involved in some way. Of course, the Senate DOJ continue to investigate this. 
So from the words in front of Congress now to the actual action on a golf course. Cam, some of the biggest names in golf taking their talents across the pond to the Scottish Open this week in preparation for the fourth and final major championship next week, the Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. So when you look at the Scottish Open, you will see the big names in the world of golf. Scotty Scheffler is the favorite. Rory McIlroy, not far behind. A ton of names over there, Cam, getting ready for the Open by playing this week on the DP World Tour at the Scottish Open. What do you hope to learn this week, Cam, at the Scottish Open that will get you ready for the Open Championship? Well, obviously, we are on to link style golf here this week and then next week. I think it's uber important to look at the data, say, the past decade in terms of golfers who have played well on link style golf courses. There are guys who simply can't do it. Justin Thomas is one of those guys. He's not even playing well right now, but when he did play well at a certain time, he wasn't very good at these tournaments. Something to keep in mind there. So it is a different style of golf Obviously, the likes of Justin Rhodes and Adam Scott, Xander Shoffley, these guys have played well historically in link style, right? The other thing, too, is the data is slightly positive. If you play well at the Scottish Open, you will likely play well at the British Open. Again, a small correlation, but it is a positive correlation. So I'm looking at those factors here this week. By the way, no John Rahm this week. A little bit of an odd decision here, Ben. He's a guy who historically has not played well at the British Open. I would think maybe he'd want to play here this week. He has the third best price for next week's Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. We'll look at that in just a moment. But Cam, because the focus is on the Scottish Open, with the biggest names in the world of golf playing at this event this week and not necessarily a tune-up on the PGA Tour, how do you cap those big names making the move across the pond? Well, listen, I'm going down the board in terms of my pick to win here, Ben. I am getting crazy. A 50-1 bomb, Adam Scott, to get it done here this week. He's been one of the best link-style golfers of the last decade. He's 28th in strokes gained total on the PGA Tour. The driver is working great. The putter is working great. The Renaissance Club really calls for driving distance here this week. So I think Adam Scott is in good position. T19 at the Travelers Championship. By the way, just one missed cut in 14 starts. Mm. The only missed cut, the U.S. Open. I think that's forgivable, Ben. So more of a gut play, maybe a quarter of a unit, something like that for the folks at home. But Adam Scott, 50 to 1. I really like that value. And then we'll get chalky next week, Ben, for the British Open. And I have some early leans. I'm sure we'll get to them. And we'll get to those, Cam, in just a moment. Again, a 50-1 to price on Adam Scott. And, Cam, it's big for the U.S. players that maybe aren't all that adept on Lynx-style golf to get their games adjusted for next week at the Open Championship. And there's some big names from the U.S. in this field. Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley, Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas, Max Homa, and the reigning U.S. Open champion, Wyndham Clark, playing this week across the pond as well. Cam, how important is it for these U.S. players players to play link style golf to get ready for the fourth and final major of this year very important especially for the guys who perhaps are playing their second open championship or their debut because it is a different style of golf ball low irons off the tee conservative into the greens you have to be an artist around these golf courses it's not about tactical precision with your irons that's why jordan spieth at 13 to 1 makes a ton of sense for me for top american here this week he's been a little bit of a jekyll and hyde player this year ben 
fine. Very volatile, but he's historically one of the best players on link style golf uh, golf courses going back to 2014 Steve averages 2.49 strokes gained on link style golf courses that is number one in this field we haven't seen him in a month maybe he's fresh ready to go speed 13 to 1 i like that number so cam we'll have you back week for a full-blown breakdown and preview of the open championship at royal liverpool but you mentioned some early thoughts what are they as we get ready for the final major of the year I am very enticed by Victor Hovland at 14-2-1, 12th and T4 in his first two Open Championship appearances. The ball striking has been immaculate. He's been great at the majors this year. Two more names, Spieth and Rose. I may talk about them next week, Ben. I certainly think you will. Roy McIlroy currently the favorite at plus 750. He was not. He has not won a major championship in nearly a decade, but he was victorious at the 2014 Open, the last time it was played at Royal Liverpool. Cam, until next week, when we preview the Open Championship here in 2023. For the morning after, it's up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Football is less than seven weeks away. In fact, just about six and a half weeks, just over a month and a half until the start of the 2023 college football season. It is about to be talking season. Big 12 media days get started today at the Power 5 level. But a ton to get to here where the biggest story in sports over the past 48 hours has focused on Big 10 in college football in Northwestern parting ways with Pat Fitzgerald. Welcome back to this Wednesday live right here on the morning after on sports. I'm Ben Stevens to get you set with everything you need to know around the world of CFB. It is the mastermind of the college football pigskin. Joe Lisi joins us live right here on this Wednesday on TMA. Lisi guy, we appreciate it. We're getting ready for a new college football season. Oh, can you taste it, Ben? Football is in the air, baby. Big 12 media days. A little Joey McGuire, a little Texas Tech, Steve Sarkeesian. How about a little bit of Venables, baby? Let's Ooh. let's get it on. This is what it's all about. In the introduction of four new members to the Big 12, BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston at Big 12 media days today as well. But, Joe, we start with a big story in college football. Late on Monday evening, Northwestern deciding to fire Pat Fitzgerald following hazing allegations in the Northwestern football program. A third-party investigation into these allegations that came just a few days after Northwestern's 1-11-2022 college football season did back up the evidence that hazing was widespread within this program. And after being suspended, unpaid for two weeks, Joe, on Friday, 72 hours later, Northwestern President Michael Schill makes the decision to fire Pat Fitzgerald, who had been the head coach of Northwestern football for 17 seasons. Lisa, what was your reaction to the decision to fire Pat Fitzgerald by Northwestern's university program? 
Yeah, I thought it was the right decision. I mean, when multiple players came out and said that there was, in fact, a, a whiteboard in the locker room, that they had to make that decision, Ben. I mean, they could not move forward with Pat Fitzgerald in terms of the head coach for 2023 because of that. That showed that the coaching staff was aware that hazing was going on, and we talked about it on Football Full Circle this week, that even if Pat Fitzgerald didn't know, it was his job to know because he runs that program. A head football coach at a Power Five conference, especially Northwestern in the Big Ten, you're getting paid millions of dollars. You're you're overseeing student athletes. And at the end of the day, you're responsible for your coaching staff and all of the players in that locker room. So I think Northwestern did, in fact, make the right decision. ESPN's Adam Rittenberg reporting yesterday that the entire assistant staff will stay. New defensive coordinator David Braun, who was hired just back in January from North Dakota State, will take over as the acting head coach. And Joe, it's very interesting when you put all of this into a shell, because as we discussed yesterday here on the morning after, and as you and I broke down yesterday on Football Full Circle on Sports Grid Radio, it is difficult at times for us to compartmentalize things, for two things to live in harmony at the same time, especially now where you hear one thing, you hold on dearly to that stance and hardly ever listen to the other side of the argument. All things for Pat Fitzgerald can be true. That he led this program for 17 seasons, entered this offseason as the fourth longest active tenured head coach in all of college football. He dedicated 26 years of his life to North Western football when you think of this program in the modern era you think Pat Fitzgerald first as a player a two-time defensive player of the year in 1995 and 1996 and a Big Ten coach of the year for Northwestern who had a winning record for a program that lost in historic ways throughout its entire history so Joe what do you make of Pat Fitzgerald's legacy for Northwestern football well, I think it's the good, the bad, and the ugly, right, Ben? I mean, you can make that assessment in terms of a majority of college football programs across the country, but at the end of the day, you can't take away what Pat Fitzgerald did on the football field in leading the Northwestern Wildcats to the Rose Bowl against Keyshawn Johnson and USC back in 1995 with Gary Barnett. He takes over the program for Randy Walker that unfortunately passed away suddenly, and at the end of the day, like you mentioned, took this team to two Big Ten title games against Ohio State couldn't crack through, but that is a huge accomplishment on the football field. But at the end of the day, he's going to be remembered ultimately for what happened off the football field and what happened yep. with student athletes. And that's unfortunately the, the downside of being a coach, right? You got to deal with everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this is a tarnish to his resume overall. There is no doubt that Pat Fitzgerald over his decade, two decades plus in Northwestern football positively impacted countless individuals, players, staff, coaching staff alike. But when it comes to being the head coach of a college football program where you are tasked with owning everything down to every minute detail, when you have issues in your program, and frankly, there are glaring, far-reaching, and serious issues within Northwestern football that has left this program fractured, you are responsible for those problems. And Pat Fitzgerald bears that burden now. Joe, he is going to sue Northwestern as an athletic department 
and university. He is still owed over $40 million in his contract, and he has issues with how the process was played out in terms of how he was let go from his job, the termination of said contract. We will see how that all plays out. But, Lisi, there is still a ton of players that are impacted by what is happening presently for this Northwestern football program. I mentioned defensive coordinator, the new DC in Evanston, David Braun, is taking over as the interim head coach. And there are serious issues that will need a ton of time to mend within this football program. Lisi, where does this leave Northwestern as a program right now? Well, right now they're on the bottom, and, and only time will tell in terms of attrition, right? Do players all of a sudden move out and transfer on? That will ultimately determine whether Northwestern is standing or at least competent within the next couple of seasons. Let's not forget 4-20 overall, just 2-16 and 16 in the Big Ten the past couple of seasons. So at the end of the day, if they do have attrition, it might take three to four years to rebound from that type of you know, loss. So we have to see. Only time will tell. And if the players do respond, and let's say, let's say they do rally around this situation, they might be a bet on team from the gambling perspective this year. But again, we have to see how it plays out from a, a roster perspective over the next couple of months. Serious issues for these players and this coaching staff now to take on as they get ready for 2023 the mental and emotional impact of what these players currently in this program in the former ones that had the courage to step up and say something now have to deal with not just for the next coming days or weeks but for the foreseeable future moving forward. Northwestern's win total for 2023, strictly from a football perspective, was three and a half. It is now off the board. But Northwestern does have the longest price out of all seven teams remaining in the Big Ten West Division at 85 to one. Speaking of just the football perspective here, Joe, in the conference as a whole, as we get ready for 2023, it's the final year of what we have come to know over the past decade in the Big Ten conference. Conference. That is divisions, and that is 14 teams, seven of them playing in the Big Ten West. Joe, how do you evaluate this West division entering 2023, the final year of divisions in the Big Ten Conference? Well, I think it's going to be very competitive, and I think uh, uh, every team outside of right now, Northwestern, has a legitimate shot to potentially win the Big Ten West title. Now, I know all eyes are on Iowa and Wisconsin, respectively, but keep an eye out for Minnesota, Illinois, and my Nebraska Cornhuskers. That's right. My Nebraska Cornhuskers with Matt Rule at 14-1 to and Jeff Sims, the Georgia Tech transfer quarterback, could make some noise this year, I already bet them to win the title. Jeff Sims and Nebraska, 16 to 1. You heard it here first. Joe Lisi's Nebraska Cornhuskers, not this individual <laughs> that lived and worked in Omaha covering the Cornhuskers for a few seasons and often bumps into many Nebraska fans around the streets of New York City. A 16 to 1 price on the Huskers. Matt Rule's inaugural year in Lincoln. The win total for Nebraska is at six and a half. But Lisi, this will be the 10th year of the East versus the West. The East and West divisions in the Big Ten facing off for a Big Ten title in that Big Ten championship game. And in the nine previous seasons, the champion out of the East division has gone on to win the Big Ten championship. It's why when you look at the Big Ten odds overall, the three best prices, Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, all hailing from the East Division. Joe, will the eventual Big Ten champion come from the East for a 10th in consecutive season? 
I think it will. I, I mean, at the end of the day, you talk about Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, three best teams in the conference out of that division. I think Penn State does have uh, a potential dark horse uh, shot to make the college football playoff with Aller at quarterback and Singleton and Allen at the running backs. But at the end of the day, whichever team wins the East is going to win over the West. I mean, the West is good and competitive, but they're nowhere near from an offensive defensive line perspective where the other three teams are entering 2023. So we go from the Big Ten to the Big 12. There's a ton of changes coming our way in college football next year to start 2024. The Big Ten adds UCLA and USC. The Big 12 loses Oklahoma and Texas as those two storied programs will join the SEC. But some changes this year in the Big 12 as well. As I mentioned to start off this segment, four new schools now play in the Big 12, a total of 14 overall. UCF. Cincinnati, Houston, and BYU. Big 12 media days underway today in Arlington, Texas at AT&T Stadium. And in the final year of this construction, Joe, of the Big 12, the Texas Longhorns are the favorite at plus 105. It has been 13 college football seasons since Texas has won a conference championship dating back to 2009. Booked as the favorites right now in front of their rivals, Oklahoma. That third best number in this conference currently, Kansas State at 5-1. to one. But Joe Lisi, who was your pick to win the Big 12 championship in 2023? I'm going with Joey McGuire and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. I love what they have. Yeah, that's it. Bing, bing, bing. Joey McGuire has 18 total starters coming back. He's got Brendan Morton and obviously Tyler Shuck. The way they were able to pound Ole Miss in the bowl game, rush for over 200 yards. Taj Brooks is a legitimate Big 12 running back, can catch the football out of the backfield. He is building a culture there. I saw an article that said the next Alabama, it's potential. Don't count out Joey McGuire. I love what he has. Don't like Oklahoma. They gave up 188 rushing yards per game last year with Brett Venables in Texas until they could win a big 12 road game. That matters, okay? Yeah. They lost. Well, Texas stinks. They lost to Oklahoma State and Texas Tech on the road Fine. last year. I can't buy into right. Quinn Ewers and Sarkeesian. I just got to ask the follow-up that naturally has to come. Where did you read the article that Texas Tech is the next Alabama on a Texas Tech fan forum? Dallas Morning News, baby. I'll send it to you in the break. Yes, and Joey McGuire's daughter, Devella, actually designed the dress for Taylor Swift's concert tour. I love it, baby. What We're is happening right Texas Tech. This thing, bing, 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 going off bing, the rails, Joe. I thought you were about to tell me that Joey McGuire's daughter wrote the article because that's the only way it makes sense to call what is happening in Lubbock what might be happening in Tuscaloosa. But that's why he's the mastermind of the college football pigskin. Nothing gets past Joe Lisi. Lisi guy, we appreciate it as always. We round out the morning after up next. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.
about our two hours together here live on this Wednesday on the morning after on Sports Grid. Sirius XM channel 159. That is the home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM. All across the Spiz Grizz network that is Sports Grid and this is also Sports Grid. It's a new Sports Grid app available for download at the Apple App Store. Scan the QR code on your screen when it comes up there. There it is. Just scan that QR code. Matter of moments. All of our insight at the touch of your fingertips five star plays each and every day even when there's not all that many sports to bet on maybe at Wimbledon listen I'm devastated absolutely devastated right now had a big ticket on Elena Rabakina a full unit play on Elena Rabakina to win Wimbledon for a second straight year from my tennis advisor Joe Frizo she lost in the quarterfinal to Anj Jabor who lost to her in the Wimbledon's women final last year however that being said congratulations to on Shabor. christopher eubanks right now in the men's quarterfinal on court number one has a three games to one lead over daniel medvedev as he looks to continue his magical run at wimbledon as well carlos alcaraz and holger runa on the court later today in quarterfinal action on this wednesday at wimbledon tennis guy before we say farewell and before we say goodbye it is time for bye 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 College football is oh so near. Today in Arlington, it starts Big 12 Media Days. We're in the final year that Texas and Oklahoma play in the Big 12. The Longhorns and the Sooners have the two best prices to win the conference championship this year. In fact, Texas is a pretty short favorite, plus 105. I made mention of this when Joe Lisi was here. The last time Texas won a conference championship, 2009. 14 college football seasons ago and the last time texas went over their win total which for this year is nine and a half where they won double digit games in the regular season was also 2009 maybe we go horns down and under that win total we'll talk to you tomorrow thursday on the morning after starting at 9 a.m eastern